0: Uh, if you've been here for the last several weeks, many months actually, we did a series through the book of First John, and as we enter the holiday season, it's always a little tricky to know what to do as a pastor. Do I do I start a new book and go through an entire book of the Bible, or do I just do something a little bit that pertains to the season? Well, I decided, actually the Holy Spirit decided, that we're going to do a sort of a mini-series, and we're going to call this Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life, and we're going to look at some classic stories from the bible although we're not going to study the stories we're going to use the classic story the famous bible story as the backdrop for some practical truth that god wants to teach us and so that's where we're headed today you'll understand the story as i put the picture up here today's lesson is going to be called delivered but we're not going to read the story from exodus at least until the end we're going to look at a passage from hebrews chapter 2 if you have your bibles you can head over there Hebrews chapter 2, the verses today are going to be 14 to 18, and the title of our lesson is going to be called Delivered. We also have Bibles on the back bookshelf, if you don't have one, that you can use, and there's Mr. Joel showing the way, and uh, you can take those Bibles home with you if you need one, Um, they're for your benefit. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, before we get to our lesson today, did you ever have to be rescued from something? Oh, yeah. Right? Right? Sometimes we have to be delivered or rescued from some things. Well, I found a list of my things, 10 things that I find it challenging to be rescued from. Maybe near impossible to be rescued from. 10 things that are hard to be delivered from or rescued rescued from. Number one is a promise made to a (laughs) four-year-old. If you ever made a promise to a child, you know that child, they don't remember everything. They don't remember a lot of things, but they remember the promises. And they will hold you to those promises no matter what happens in life. And if you make a promise to a four-year-old, you will pay. You will pay. That promise will come back. So good luck being delivered from that one. Here's number two, a guilt trip from your mother. (laughs) Or your pastor. See, now, my mother's in the audience, and we have an interesting relationship because she's my mom, but I'm her pastor. So sometimes we try to out-guilt-trip each other. (laughs) Depends depends what day it is who's going to win that guilt trip. But a guilt trip is tough to to be delivered from. Here's number three, onion breath. Now, I don't like onions. You guys know that. I'm not a big onion guy. And sometimes when there's someone who has had onions, or if you've had onions, good luck getting the onion out of your breath. Because there is not a mint or a piece of gum on the planet, Joel, that can take care of onion breath. And I'm saying Joel because Joel agrees with me. Joel's on the same team. Anti-onion. So good luck getting rid of your onion breath. Here's number four, is Thanksgiving plans with your in-laws. Now, I love my in-laws, but they are set to come into town from Michigan in the next couple weeks for Thanksgiving because we have plans with our in-laws, my in-laws. And even though they're lovely people, if you get one of those text messages from me that week saying, I want to do something, or SOS, Respond to your pastor's text message, okay? That is me coming to you with a plea. No, I'm just teasing. I love my, my in-laws. Here's number five. Hardest thing to be rescued from is a bad haircut. Now, I know what you're thinking. I haven't had that problem in a long time. But it still is true. Isn't a bad haircut? It's a tough thing to be delivered from until one day your hair leaves and then it's really tough to be delivered from that. Here's number six. Hard thing to be delivered from is an illogical toddler tantrum. Now, the other day, I gave my child exactly what he asked for. And he threw a tantrum. (laughs) Exactly what he asked for. I found it, I gave it to him, and I thought he'd be thrilled. He threw a huge tantrum, and I couldn't get out of it. And I didn't know how to solve it. It was was like pulling out a fire, right? When a child has a tantrum, you're not sure how to get out of that. Number seven, maybe you guys have been there before. It's a conversation with someone whose name you should know by now, (laughs) but you don't. Who's been there? You're too de- all of us. You're too deep into the conversation. Maybe you're too deep into the relationship. Like it's been a few weeks or months, or maybe you married them, and you don't know their name. That's tough. That's tough to get out of. You're gonna have to find a tricky way, a creative way, to find out their name. Number eight, hard thing to be delivered from is bumper to bumper traffic which doesn't happen around here a lot, right? But sometimes you guys have been in bumper-to-bumper traffic jams when you have to use the bathroom. <laughs> <sighs> that, is tough. that happened to me once on the trip to Chicago. When you go to Chicago and you're about to enter Chicago, make sure you go to the bathroom before you hit Chicago traffic because by the time you hit Chicago traffic, you're stuck. That was a tricky thing. Here's number nine, very specific as well, but this actually happened to me. Hard thing to be rescued from is a bad relationship with someone who just bought you a dozen very thoughtful Christmas presents. That actually happened to me. I was set to break up with a girl, and she brought over to my house like 12 Christmas presents, and they were all really thoughtful. And uh, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I didn't do the right thing. I'll just say that. Hard to be delivered from something like that. Here's number 10 hard thing to be delivered from is an awkward icebreaker... Followed by a lengthy sermon. Pull out your Bibles. <laughs> You're all stuck. Actually, number, no, the, the one that's going to transition us to our lesson today is hard thing to be rescued from is sin and death. But thankfully, we're going to talk about being delivered today. If you have your Bibles, join me in Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 14 to 18. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Now, we don't know the writer of Hebrews. So we have to assume it might be Paul or one of the other apostles, but we don't know. The writer of Hebrews, in chapter 2, verse 14, says this. He says, "...since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death," that is, the devil, "...and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery." For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's the word of God today. Being delivered is where we're going today. We have a three point outline. Hopefully you got your sheet with the notes on it. You can follow along if you want. Our three-point outline is number one, our victor. Number two, our rescuer. And number three, our helper. Let's start here with our victor, number one. Now, I'm a father of eight children. Most of you know that. And um, you love to prove to your children how strong you are. That is something I think a lot of dads do. I love to prove to my children how strong they are. I like to have them gang up on me and still prove that I can conquer them, at least for the next couple of years. Uh, before the tables turn on that. But you like to prove to your family, you like your family to know that you can take care of them, right? You're strong, you're capable, that if something happens, you're there to take care of them. Dads want that to be a reality of their family, is that dad is strong, dad is capable, dad is the caretaker. Dad is is the protector, and that's a good thing. But sometimes dads have a tricky spot to be in, right? Sometimes we can't live up to all the expectations that we want to live up to. And that's sad that sometimes dads fail. All dads fail from time to time, myself included. We can't live up to all the things we want to be or should be as a father. And sometimes it's the complete opposite. Sometimes there's a Superman complex we have with our dads that there's nothing they can do wrong, right? That my dad will always be there. My dad will always do the right thing. My dad is stronger than anything. And so sometimes it's a little difficult to be a dad. We're going to talk about what the writer of Hebrews brings up about our father. Because he says this in verse 14, since therefore the children, well, who's he talking about? Children of who? The children of God. Since therefore the children of God, and if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a child of God. Today. God calls you his child. And the writer is talking to a Hebrew audience who have been who has turned to Jesus Christ. They are Christians. So he says, Since therefore the children of God share flesh and blood. Now, we as Christians have a lot of things in common, don't we? But one of the most base, simple things we have in common is we're all people. We're all people who live upon the earth. We all share flesh and blood. We all have that in common. We're all frail, fragile, weak people who are susceptible to harm and death and things like that. So the writer says, Since the children of God share in flesh and blood, which we do, he himself, and now he's talking about Jesus Christ, Notice the next phrase. Likewise partook of the same things. Isn't that interesting? That our Jesus, our Lord Jesus, shares in the flesh and blood that you and I share Or At least he did when he came to this earth. So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, when children share, it's... <laughs> It's a rare thing, right? When children share, when they share on their own accord, it's a rare thing to see children share, especially when you have eight kids. That's always a lesson we've got to bring up from time to time. But children end up sharing a lot because we make them and because they have the same kinds of things in common. They all love toys. They all love fun. They all love donuts. And so children end up sharing things all the time. And that's not special. That's common. When children share things, they have a lot of things in common. But when, when a dad and a child share things, At least from my children's perspective, that is special. When they get to have a special time with daddy or a special lunch with daddy or go somewhere special with their mom or their dad, that's a special time and my kids look forward to that because it doesn't happen every day that they get to do something special with their father. What's interesting about Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, is that he shares with us. And that's one of those things you can commonly look over and go, Jesus saved me from my sin, but he doesn't just save us. He also shared with us. Notice what it says in Hebrews 4, Verse 15, it says we do not have a high priest, talking about our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus shared with us. Jesus came to this earth not as a 33-year-old man just to die, right? He could have. If we just needed a savior, someone to die for us, he could have come down as a grown man, died on the cross, paid for our sins, and gone right back to heaven. It could have happened in a couple days. But he came as a babe, and we're about to celebrate that at Advent in a few weeks. He came as a babe. He grew up. He faced everything that you and I face here upon the earth. And I mean everything. Every weakness, every frailty. Susceptible to harm, susceptible to attack, susceptible to death. And Jesus did that on purpose. He did that so that he could empathize with us. He could share with us the same things that you and I go through. He would go through them. But there's a very big difference between what Jesus did and what we do. We often lose, don't we? We often face temptation. We often are susceptible to the attacks of the devil. But Jesus stood up to the devil. Jesus conquered the devil. Jesus conquered every single temptation that was thrown at him. And I think that's a very powerful relationship, that one verse, that he knows what we went through, but he can also say, I know how to win, and I know how to help you get victory as well. But Jesus shared with us, and that's the thing the writer is bringing up, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, so that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, That is the devil. Now, that's a whole sermon right there, just in one verse. There's a lot to unpack there. Here's the part that's a little confusing, though. It says that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Now, if I were going to write that sentence, and I was going to come up with a story, which you're glad that I didn't. I'm not God, of course. I would have said through life, he destroyed the power of death. That is the devil, right? I would say something like that, going, the devil, he's all about death. God is all about life, so the way that he conquered the devil and death is by life, which of course, that's true. Three days later, after he died from the grave, he rose and conquered death with life. But the the writer of Hebrews is bringing up something a little bit different. He said, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Well, how do we make sense of that? How did Jesus destroy death? By dying. Because he did die, didn't he? He did die, it wasn't a kind of death. It wasn't an almost death. Jesus actually died on the cross. Well, it's a couple of interesting pictures up there. Pay attention to those pictures. Um, the nice, one nice thing about dads, and I remember my dad doing this. My dad was a very large man, 6'6", um, six, six, really big guy. And my dad was very obviously seen as a protector in our family. And sometimes when harm or tricky situations were coming directly at me, my dad would stand in the way and he would absorb it my dad would take the hard or difficult things or painful things away from me by taking them himself. Well, what's interesting and doctrinally true according to the word of God is that death was coming for us. Because of our sin, because of the choices that we made, condemnation was coming for us. We were the ones that were going to stand before God guilty as charged, and we were going to be the ones cast into hell away from our God for all eternity. So what did Jesus do? Did he just take our sins and sweep them under the rug, acting like they never happened? I mean, why he could have done that, right? Why didn't he just do that? Acting like, hey, listen, I know that you've messed up, but I'm going to make it all go away. I'm going to act like it never happened. I'm just going to wink at these sins, just try not to do it again. Is that what Jesus did? No, he didn't. Because God is just, isn't he? God is just. And sin must be paid for. Sin has to be paid for because our God is holy, holy, holy. God does not wink at sin. He does not take sins and sweep them under the rug. Sins had to be paid for. So what did Jesus do? He stepped on the cross, and he absorbed our death. Every ounce of it. Every ounce of punishment and payment that was coming to us, Jesus said, I will take it for them. I will absorb their death. It's coming to them, but I will take it instead. And because of that, God remained just. He punished all the wrongdoings that we had done, and he put them on Jesus Christ. Therefore, you and I didn't have to face one arrow, did we, of God's wrath, of God's punishment. It's all because Jesus stepped in the way. See, it says in Romans 6.23, and this is a true equation, for the wages of sin is death. You know what Jesus came not to do? To change the equation. Jesus did not come to change that equation to say the wages of sin is no longer death. That's not what he came to do. He came to take our death away from us so that the wages of sin remains death, but the death is no longer ours. The death is now his. And this, this is what makes sense of Jesus when he said, on the cross, it is finished. Well, let's say it this way, paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus did not come to change the equation came to pay for our sins. The wages of sin is death. You better believe that it's death. If the wages of sins was not death, Jesus wouldn't have died. But Jesus did die on the cross because we needed a payment for that sin, and Jesus was willing to pay that. And we know there's another half to that verse, don't we? Now the wages of sin is death, and thankfully, that is not our death any longer because the Lord Jesus Christ stood upon the cross and paid for every single crime and sin that we have committed. And now the second half of that verse is ours. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see it? How that through death he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The devil wanted us dead. He wanted every single one of us who belonged to God to go to hell where he belongs. And that was going to be his way of getting back at God For God kicking him out of heaven because he rebelled. He was going to destroy all of God's people. And the Lord had a different plan. The Lord was going to send his son to take our death so that we would have eternal life with God. And that's a beautiful doctrine to know. And our God remains just. But we have a deliverer, don't we? Our victor, the Lord Jesus Christ, has delivered us from death. Do you believe that? Do you believe you've been delivered from death? Now, we're not talking about the physical death. Although physical death is bad enough, right? We don't like to experience that either. We're talking about a second death. We're talking about a spiritual death. We're talking about an eternal death away from God. Jesus came to deliver us from the bigger of the two deaths, the second death, so that we would experience life forevermore. And our victor has delivered us. Therefore, we can live for Christ in righteousness with courage confidence because we're not dead anymore. We're not dead ever again. Once Jesus has paid our debt, we are alive with God forevermore. You don't even have to say this. We're not even waiting for eternal life. We have it right now. We have it right now, this very moment. We are God's children. God is now preparing a place for us in heaven because he loves us, and we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. Eternal life has begun. And we have it all because Jesus delivered us from death. He is our victor. Therefore, we can live. Not just for pleasure. Not for the things that we want. That's a shallow life. That's not a life full of purpose. That's not a life full of God's glory. A life full of God's glory is when we stand up and go forward for Christ and for righteousness. When we stand up to the enemy and we say, you don't own me any longer. I'm not dead any longer. And we go forward for Jesus, our captain, our savior. Whatever your will is, God, I will now do, because my Jesus has delivered me from death. That's number one. Number two, he's our rescuer. (laughs) That's a tricky situation. Hope that guy got out. I'm sure that he did, because it looks like that was staged. But sometimes being rescued out of things, as I mentioned in the icebreaker, can be kind of humorous, right? Sometimes you're in a tricky conversation you have to be delivered from, or a tricky relationship you have to be delivered from. Sometimes rescuing isn't that big of a deal. Sometimes. Sometimes it's a huge deal, isn't it? It all depends where you are. It all depends what kind of situation you're facing, how big the rescuing is. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's on a grand scale. Well, ours was on a grand scale, a much even grander scale than the pictures you see before you right here. Notice what he says in verse 15. And he's still speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver all those, that's all of us, every single one of us, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. you think the world is scared of death? In fact, 99% of the phobias that people have all have one thing in common. Death. Whether it be snakes or spiders or fear of heights or fear of the dark Or fear of getting sick, or whatever—they all have one common thing in—in one thing in common—is that we're all scared of death to some degree. And according to the writer of Hebrews, death—or the fear of death—is lifelong slavery. It's something that we have. We all know that it's coming, but we don't talk about it. And that's the world's strategy. Do you know that? That's their strategy to dealing with death: don't talk about it, act like it's not there, act like it's not coming. Let's just have fun right now. Let's just do whatever we want right now. Let's get as many toys as we can right now. And then, yeah, one day we'll lose it all. But let's not talk about it. Let's act like it's not there. Let's suppress that truth. When all reality, they're in slavery to that truth. That death is coming. And every day that ticks by, every hour in the clock that goes by, they get closer and closer to death. Now, if we were only talking about physical death, that would be bad enough. We're going to physically die from this Earth. we're going to lose all the stuff that we have, all the time, of memories we have of our family. It's all going to end one day. That would be bad enough if that were the end of the chapter, but that's not the end of the chapter. Because there's a judgment day coming for everyone. And at that judgment day, it will be determined who has eternal life and who has eternal death. And every single day, the world who does not have Jesus Christ grows closer and closer to that moment, and they're terrified. They're terrified because they don't know what's on the other side. That when I pass, when I die, what's to come? Sure, I hope it's something good, but we'll have to see because I don't know. That is lifelong slavery. That is slavery to something that you and I do not have to take part in because of our rescuer. <laughs> A couple funny pictures I found up here. Um, now, I don't know if you can see the book, but the book title is called The Dead Lifeguard. Oh. Now, I cannot recommend this book. I've never read it. It could be good, it could be bad. I have no idea. I just found the title quite striking, The Dead Lifeguard. How do you think that's going to go? If you have a dead lifeguard or a dead Superman, that's probably not going to go real well when you're in trouble, is it? When you're in trouble and you need someone rescuing you and your savior, your or your lifeguard is dead, you're in very big trouble. Is ours dead? Is our savior dead? Sure he died. Did he stay dead? Is he dead in a tomb right now, rotting in a cave? Of course not. This is another thing kids love to do when they were in grade school. Is, my dad is stronger than your dad. My dad could beat up your dad. My dad actually could. I think my dad could beat up any dad ever, Mom. 6'6", six, six, 300 pounds, a lot of muscle. My dad was a scary guy, um, at least physically. But I, I want to change this shirt to this to... Today, to make sense of what we're talking about today, is my Savior is bigger than your death. Amen. Because what happened? Jesus did die. He actually died. He was buried and entombed for three days, actually dead. He died for our sins. He paid for our sins on the cross, and He died. Because the wages of sin is death. But if that's where you put a period, And that's where Christianity ends. Jesus died for our sins and he stayed dead. We have a dead lifeguard. We have a dead Savior and he can't do much for us today, can he? He can't do much for us when death is stalking us and death is chasing us and death is enslaving us, can he? Unless he's alive. Well, thankfully ours is. He's alive and he's alive forevermore. And he's stationed on his throne this very hour. And that's an important detail for us being rescued that our guard, our Savior, is alive, He's capable, He's strong, and He can defeat anything. One of the most beautiful verses I've ever encountered is Colossians 1, 13-14. If you memorize the Bible, memorize this one. Colossians 1, 13-14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, from Satan's domain, and not just delivered us, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that is, that our Jesus rescued us from slavery and transferred us to freedom and to life. So the writer of Hebrews says, "...and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery." slavery is a bad thing slavery is a bad thing because you're captive and you can't get free and there's nothing you can do to remedy your situation you are a slave someone has to rescue you I don't know if you've ever felt that way before that you're enslaved to something that no matter what you try to do you can't get out of it there seems to be no rescue there seems to be no foothold anywhere else you're trapped, you're completely trapped Unless someone who is stronger than the situation can come and free you. Well, this is exactly what our sin was doing to us. And I'm sure many in this room can attest that they've they've been there. They know what that's like to be enslaved to sin. You know what that's like to be enslaved to sin? I do. I lived a long period of my life not being able to say no to sin. Not being able to say no to the devil. Not being able to stand up and go forward for God. I was stuck in patterns of sin against my God. And I saw no way out, no way to change my behavior, no way to change the tide so that I could live differently. What did I need? I needed a rescuer, didn't I? Paul, the Apostle Paul brings this up in Romans 6, and I want you to notice the language because he's talking exactly about what we're talking about today. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Notice this, either of sin, notice it, which leads to death, the wages of sin is death. If you obey sin, you are a slave of sin, and therefore your consequences for those sins will be death. Or, you could be a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. One leads to death, one leads to righteousness and life. And the one that we obey is the one that we're a slave to, and that's what Paul is saying. The wages of sin is death, and we all belong to sin. We all lived in sin, and that meant our outcome was going to be very, very bleak. Something had to change. Something had to change that and turn that ship around because we were all, myself included, living in sin, and it was slavery. And as a 20 Five year old man, there was nothing I could do to break those patterns. And I wanted to. I did. I did, and I didn't. Because sin had captivated my heart, captivated my pleasures. But I wanted to be free from this in the daylight. I didn't want to have these practices a part of my life anymore, and there's nothing that I could do. I tried all the strategies. I tried the accountability partners. I tried everything I could. I tried even praying. I thought that if I prayed really hard, if I went to church enough, I thought that if I tried with all my strength, I could rescue myself from death and from sin. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 17, but thanks be to God. Do you notice how sin is bigger than us? It's bigger. It's darker. It's scarier. It's stronger than every single one of us. We don't need to do something, do we? We need someone to help us. And Paul says, thanks be to God, that once... That you, all of us, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We're now on a different team, aren't we? Team Jesus. We were in a sinful tomb, a sinful slave camp, and we couldn't free ourselves. And then God came in by His Son, by His Holy Spirit, and rescued us. Did the devil give us up? No, he didn't. God rescued us from the domain of darkness. The devil would never have let us go. Never once has he let his grip go from us. Jesus had to steal us away, and he did, thankfully. And now we are free. What are we free to do? We're free to be obedient. Not live for the things that enslaved us before, not the things that led to death any longer. We can now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed, we can now follow our Lord Jesus to life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And I hope you could feel that. If you know what it's like to be slaved and to be chained, you know how good it feels to be free. And when I was 26 years old and I was free from my sin, And I could say no to sin. I could say yes to God. It was the most freeing experience I've ever experienced before. I'd never experienced anything like that where I could say yes to God. I could say no to the devil. I could say no to my flesh. I'd never experienced that before. And suddenly now I'm brought out of my sinful tomb and God says, Child, follow my son. And I could. Thankfully, glory to God that I could because I had been rescued the writer of Hebrews goes on in verse 16 to say, For surely he does not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Well, who's he talking about? Us. Now we're not Jewish people. Most of us are not Jewish people, not Israelites, but yet we're the offspring of Abraham. How did that happen? God adopted us. God adopted all non Jewish people who believe in Jesus Christ so that we could become the offspring of Abraham, so that we could become actual children of God. And so the writer says, listen, although angels are special beings and special ministers of God, the apple of God's eye is not angels. Did you know that? The apple of God's eyes is children. And I can say the same thing as a dad of eight kids. I love other kids. I love other people's children. I love other families. Who do I give my chief love to? I give it to my kids. I give it to my children. My children get everything, every resource that I have, I make available to my own kids because they're my children. And if push came to shove, I would take a bullet for them. I would step in front of a car for them because they're my children and I love them. Do you notice the difference? God can love a lot of different people, but he gives a special chief love to his own children. And we are adopted children of God if we have believed in Jesus Christ. So every resource available from God is ours. My my children can walk right into my office, right into my room. They can call me. I will answer. Because they're my children, they're on a special A-list. So we are with God. If we pray, do you think God's going to answer? Do you think God would ever turn a deaf ear to his own child in need? Never. Never. Because God loves his children way more than I love mine. And I love my children a whole bunch in fact Jeremiah 31 says it this way I have loved you with an everlasting love I can't say that for my children I just met Felicity a few months ago (laughs) I didn't even know her name I didn't even know she existed I didn't even know she was going to be part of our family now I love her tremendously but I have not loved my children with an everlasting love but God has he loved us before we existed do you know that? And that's a wild truth to understand that God loved me before I even was. And he's going to love me for the rest of eternity because that's how our God is and he wants us to know it. That if we need to be rescued, he's going to be right there if we call out to him. Our rescuer has delivered us from sin, the sin that brings death. Therefore, we can live for Christ and righteousness with courage and confidence. My continued reminder to you today is stand up to the enemy and go forward for Jesus. If you've been delivered from sin, you are free. You are free. You don't have to sin anymore. You're not in the slave camp any longer. Once I realized that, I started doing bold things for Jesus. Because I could. Because of his grace. Because of his mercy. If you have been freed from sin, stand up. Obey him. Get involved in the church and do bold things for Jesus Christ because you can. You have been rescued. We have one more to talk about. It's our helper. Now, are you bad at anything? Is there anything you're bad at? Just really bad at it. It, it, Nothing's going to change it. You're just always going to be bad at something. I have a few, I have a short list of things I'm just really bad at. Um, Directions. (sighs) GPS should say GPS navigation for dummies like Todd. Because I'm the kind of guy that GPS was created for. I'm real bad at directions. In fact, the other day I took a road. Where were we going? We went somewhere the other day and I was sure I had the right road. Positive. I said, Mom, just follow me. We'll get there. Well, I didn't have the right road. And I didn't turn GPS on because I was proud. And uh, we got sailing on that road, and I realized this road was not taking us to our destination. Because I did turn GPS on, and I kept doing one of those U-turn things, like, at the next rate, take a... And so I had to get off, and I had to realize that I'm still bad at directions, and I need GPS. Sometimes we're bad at things, right? Sometimes we're bad, and we need help. We need someone to come alongside of us who's good at something and help us. And again, sometimes there's something really small that pertains to, sometimes there's something really big that we need help with. It's big. It's so big, we're not even sure how to mention it. We're not sure who to talk to about it. It's so big in our life that we're not sure anyone can help us. We're not sure anyone wants to help us. It's that big. That if I mention this to someone, someone will judge me, someone will go, I can't believe you're bad at that still. So we're just stuck. We're stuck at being bad at something. We're stuck at being somewhere that we need help and there's no one to help us. And sometimes life feels that way and the devil wants us to make, make sure that we feel that way many times. But do we have a helper? Man, this is such a beautiful passage. It says in Hebrews 2, verse 17, therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, notice it, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Did you know Jesus went to that depths for you? Did you know he was made like you in every respect? Your frailty become his frailty? Your susceptibility became his susceptibility? Your weakness became his weakness. Did you know Jesus went to those depths to help understand our situation so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest to us? So that he could say to us, when we are somewhere on a beaten path, God, I've been there. It's hard. God, I've been there. The enemy is real. God, I've been there. Have mercy on my children. Isn't it amazing that you have someone who can help you, who's been on the mountains himself? He's been on the same trails himself. Someone who could say to you, child, I know what it's like. I felt the pain before, I felt the loneliness before, I felt the agony before, I felt the temptation before, every ounce of it. Let me help you because I've been there. Did you know that's the difference between sympathy and empathy? They're two close words. They sound similar and they're kind of similar in their understanding. But sympathy is someone coming alongside you going, boy, that really must hurt. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that you're going through such a tricky situation. And they give you compassion because they're sympathizing with your needs. Empathy is on a whole other level. Empathy is someone saying to you, I've been there. I know what it's like. It's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. It's lonely. And I want you to know that I'm here and I can help you. Jesus not only sympathized with us, He empathizes with us. He says to us, I've been there, child, and have won. Even though it was hard, even though it was painful, I conquered every hill. I conquered every foe. And the foes that you're facing today, the enemies that are before you today, the mountains that stand in front of you today, I can help you get over them. And I love you. And I'm here to help you. And this reminds me of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days without food. By himself. Lonely. Beaten down with temptation. Feeling pain and hunger and despair. No one around. No one to understand his situation. And then when he's the weakest, the devil comes and tempts him. Why did he do that? Why? Why not just come down with lightning bolts and you know, this huge army and just destroy the devil and make it over with because he knew he had to understand our situation. For him to be able to say to us, follow me, child. He needed to be able to understand our situation and say to us, I've been there and everything you go through, I'll go with you. I'll go before you. I'll be right next to you. I'm at a prayer's ear. As soon as you call, I will answer because I love you and because I know what you're going through. And I'm thankful that I have that kind of Lord. I'm thankful that when I go through hard things as a pastor, I can say to my pastor, and my pastor says, Todd, I've been there. Let me help you. And he does, every time. Verse 18, the writer ends by saying this, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, because he did suffer more than we ever will suffer, Jesus suffered on a grand scale. So our sufferings are nothing compared to the sufferings of the Christ He, therefore, is able to help those who are being tempted. You have a helper, and I have a helper. When we are tempted, when we are beaten down in life, we're not alone. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is right there, ready to help us, anxious to help us, because we belong to him, because he died for us, and because he is, by his own nature, the helper. So he says to us, utilize my help, utilize my strength, because I love you, and because I've been there. And he could give us that helping hand out of whatever situation. And I mean whatever situation. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too scary. Nothing is too deep of a hole for Jesus, the Christ, to not be able to help us out of it. Because when we were steeped in sin, awaiting the condemnation for those sins, Jesus stepped on the cross and died for every one of our sins. And he's proving to us there is no mountain. There is no depth. There is no hole big enough that I can't get you out of. And he also said this I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Never. Not once. Not ever. Never. I will never leave you. Take it to the bank. Therefore, our helper can deliver us from anything. And I don't know what your thing is. I know what my things are. I don't know what your things are. I don't know if it's sin. I don't know if it's a bad relationship. I don't know if it's loneliness. I don't know if it's hatred. I don't know if someone is attacking you. I don't know if it's physical harm, mental harm, spiritual harm, or a combination of all three. But I know this. It doesn't matter what it is. Our helper is bigger than that. Our helper's stronger than that. And he can help us live for Christ in righteousness with courage and confidence in the face of every single enemy. Therefore, we can stand up to the devil and we can go forward for Jesus. And I hope you believe that. Because I didn't for a long time. I didn't believe that I could go forward for Jesus. I was too far gone. I was too much of a hypocrite. I was in too much sin. I was in too much debt, spiritually speaking, for God to do anything with me. Now here I am, a pastor. How did that happen? It happened because my deliverer, my rescuer, and my helper came and rescued me. Exactly what he said he would do, he did. Now I told you there was a story that this should remind us of that we're gonna use as the backdrop for how we close today. See, in Exodus, there was a group of people that experienced this exact thing. They were in slavery, weren't they? In slavery to the Egyptian army. The Egyptians did whatever they wanted with them. And when the Lord said to the Pharaoh, let my people go, the Pharaoh said, I'm not going to. I will never let them go. So 10 plagues, one after another, one after another, one after another. And he still didn't let him go. Finally, they got to the 10th plague, and Pharaoh said, Okay, I've had enough. I'll let him go. And he let the Israelites go, and they went into the wilderness and into Canaan and had a great life. Is that how it went? No. As soon as they, Pharaoh let them go, they came to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh changed his mind and said, I'm going to get them back. I want them back. I want those people back. I want them slaves to me again. Let's go get them, army. And they went after the Israelites with their huge army, and... The Israelites were trapped. As trapped as you could be. The huge Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army pursuing them behind them. They're trapped. Can they swim? Can they build a boat really fast with a motor? Can they learn how to fight an Egyptian army really fast? Where's Nikki? Can Nikki train them? <laughs> Nikki knows martial arts. Can that happen really fast? Well, they're stuck. What do they do? Let's read the account. In Exodus 14, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Because that's common, isn't it? When you're trapped. Notice in the next phrase. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the deliverer, the rescuer, the helper. They're trapped. What do they do? They cry out to the one who can help them. And Moses said to the people, Fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Moses got it. I've seen this God before. I've seen him do some wild stuff before. Guys, pray and sit back and watch what happens. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. Moses had no idea what was coming, but he knew his God, didn't he? For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. What did we sing? Sing to the king. Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. Do you believe that? He doesn't own us anymore. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Boy, isn't that a great battle plan? Just stand and be silent. I'll do all the hard work. Just believe in me. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Now what did that look like? That must have been wild to experience. I've never walked through an ocean or a lake before. But these people did. They saw the salvation of their Lord. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them. This didn't thwart their plan, which probably was stupid, right? (laughs) If there's water separated on two sides and God has just done something crazy, it's time to rethink your plan. But they didn't. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them because Pharaoh had lost his mind. And Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen, they went into the Red Sea with them, chasing them into the Red Sea. And we know the rest of the story. The waters returned and covered the chariots and all the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Not one enemy. Not one enemy. Not one single person who could come after the Israelites remained that day. They all died. Every single enemy of the Israelites was dead. But the people of Israel walked on the dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. I was able to find a real picture of this event. I I authenticated it. It is real. It is true. No, actually, it's a cartoon. You know what's interesting, though, is they're pulling chariot wheels out of the Red Sea. You guys know that? Uh, think about that how cool is that they're finding chariot wheels in the red sea not that we have to authenticate it because we know our god we know him by experience but that's pretty cool to know that they're still pulling chariot wheels out of the red sea because that event actually took place thus the lord saved israel that day from the hand of the egyptians and israel saw the egyptians dead on the seashore what does that remind you of It should remind us of the gospel because when we were enslaved to the devil and the devil was not going to let us go no matter what, the rescuer came and said, they're mine. And I'm going to destroy you by dying on the cross, paying for their sins and three days later, rising from the grave, never to die again. And these children are mine and I take them back. What's the point of our lesson today? It's quite simple. Number one, we have the victory. If you believe in Jesus, you have the victor today. You have the rescuer and the helper available to us waiting to deliver us. I would even say anxious to deliver us from any fear, any slavery, or any obstacle before us. Do you believe that? I mean, give the man a chance. Take your things and lay them before God and go, God, you split the Red Sea, you died on the cross, you rose again. I'm going to hand this little one to you and see what you can do. And stand back and watch the salvation of your Lord because he will because he's promised it because he loves you and therefore God encourages us and expects us to stand up as Christians as soldiers of Jesus go forward and to conquer evil by his grace so that we could obey our Lord Jesus Christ because who is worthy Jesus is worthy he's worthy of our life he's worthy of our soul he's worthy of our effort he's worthy of our struggling he's worthy of our praises he's worthy of our pain He's worthy of our victory. He's worthy of the church going forward in battle, conquering the enemy by his grace, for his glory, so that one day we will all stand in victory together. And we'll all say the same thing. Our God is a mighty God. And our Savior can conquer any obstacle and any foe. The last thing I say to you today is if you don't know the Deliverer, if you don't know the Savior... If you don't know the rescuer and the helper, then you need to know him today. And I'm reminded by what it says in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because that day won't always be here. Call upon him while he is near. Because once we pass from this life, that opportunity is over. Seek the Lord today. May today be the day of our salvation if you don't know him. And for those who do know him, church, let's go forward together. Because the deliverer is with us. Would you bow and pray with me? Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your great promises, your great name, Father, your great and many victories in our life. We owe everything to you, Father, everything. I pray that today we'd be a tremendous reminder, Father, of those obstacles that still remain in front of us today, to remember that they are nothing to you, and that if we come to you, if we call out to you, Father, if we desire to do your will, then you will help us because it's your every delight to help us, and because you gave us Jesus, the greatest helper of all time. Father, help Crossroads Church, help those souls in this church who need to be helped at this very hour, spiritually, mentally, physically, or a combination of all of them, and help us do it so that we can go forward and obey our Lord Jesus Christ because he's worthy of it. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this lesson today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.